0: over here it's a uh, it's portable it goes in the trailer each week but if you're like me maybe you grew up um, in a traditional church with a big wood table and what did it say on the front it said in remembrance of me and today we come not just to say those words uh, that Jesus himself said do this in remembrance of me but to really put action into that, to choose to remember, to choose to remember what he's done for us. Um, maybe you're here today and communion is is a new thought for you. Um, church is a new thought for you. And, and we invite you maybe to be an observer, not a participant, because really when you participate, you're acknowledging that we're doing this in remembrance of what he's done for us. Um, but of course, we'd love you. To move from observer to participant, and you can do that because this thing that he's done for us, that, that those of us who have have come to him and given our lives to him, that's something you can do simply by saying i I accept that you have died for my sins. And so uh, we come here today um, to remember and and that word remembrance it's kind of a10 dollar word uh, but it has in their memories remember uh, memorials we we know what those words mean and maybe you have lots of memories that flood your mind when you look back uh, maybe they're maybe they're bad memories maybe they're um, dark memories either of sins you've committed or, or sins committed against you but I think we come to this table of remembrance with the goal of choosing to remember what God's done to look back not on the failures and the the things in our lives that, that have taken us away from him, but to remember his amazing gift for us. It, it's neat. You look at the Old Testament, you look at David's um, psalm of thanksgiving in First Chronicles 16, and he says, Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. And you, you look at the songs of Israel, the, the, the psalms. There are so many times when... When a psalmist is bummed out as he as he looks around or he remembers his own frailty. Um, but there's always this word. Then I remembered. Then I remembered what God had done. So let's fast forward to us today. We're New Testament Christians. What do we what's what's that great act that we look back at? And it's it's the cross, of course. And so today um we're called by Jesus himself. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We come together on, on, at this church on the first of the month to to celebrate and to remember. And I, I love this, this word from Paul in Philippians 3. I'm about to sing a song, Lead Me to the Cross, that, that gives the same connotation of remembering, uh, Redemption's Hill. And, and the song actually says, everything... I once held dear, I counted all as lost. And that's what we see in Philippians 3. Paul's listed the credentials he could rely on in the flesh. He's a Jew of a Jew. Um, But instead, he's starting in verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead i press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus and so that's for us today we we sit here uh, we're about to take the elements in our hands it's a choice to remember to we're we're not going to forget the memories uh, of of our past maybe the the wrong choices the hurtful things but today we can sit here and choose to remember the one who has forgotten our past. So listen, listen to this song. Those who are going to pass out the elements, uh, you can start to get ready. But for the first part of the song, maybe just um, I'm going to have the words up there. You definitely don't don't need to sing along, uh, but let, let the words um, speak to your heart. Maybe if you need today in this moment to say, God, help me to remember your work. Help me to, to not be held back by the things of my past that, that make me feel unuseful for your work. And so this song says, Savior, I come, quiet my soul. So let's quiet our souls before him. Um, toward the end of the song, I believe the elements will start to be passed, and we'll sing a few choruses together.
1: Quiet, my soul. Remember redemption till where your blood was spilled. I ran everything I once held me, I counted all the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead
0: Go ahead. We continue as the elements are passed uh, there's a song we, we have sung multiple times during communion very simple chorus the words will be up there for you if you haven't heard it but just remembering what these elements are this is your body broken for me this is your bloodshed to set me free and then just a prayer cleanse me renew me fill me and use me Jesus Savior and Lord let's sing that together this is your body,
1: broken for me. This is your bloodshed to set me free. Cleanse me, renew me, fill This is your body broken for me. This is your bloodshed to send.
0: great price to pay and that really we could contribute none to what he's done on the cross there was nothing we could do as the elements are that almost everyone has had them I thought we'd just sing the chorus to this um, great old hymn I think many of you know it Jesus paid it all 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 to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow
1: Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
0: Most of you have the bread in your hands. You know, Jesus is that true and living bread. Uh, Pastor Steve, I think, has done a great job of expressing the intimacy. Of breaking bread together, especially in in that culture, in those times when Jesus walked the earth, uh, to break bread together was a sign of, of of true intimacy and friendship. And so Jesus wants us to be uh, partakers together with Him, to have an intimacy with Him. And He 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 called Himself in John six. Verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This everlasting life, he spoke of this the person, the, the man, the woman that eats of this bread will live forever. It's the blessed hope that we look forward to as believers. I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago memories, uh, the things we probably won't forget. So this, this blessed hope of eternal life isn't a promise that, that there won't be pain in this life, there won't be pain when we look back at our past. But we who have been redeemed, we we choose to look forward to that amazing hope that he purchased for us with his death, his burial, his resurrection. So now let's choose with Paul. Let's look to the future. Let's remember his body broken for us so that we can, we can live that life that he's offered us. We can push on to that finish line together with Christ's strength that he offers. So let's partake of the bread together. You're also holding the cup. You know, in First Corinthians six, Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's just listed an awful list of sins. Um, again, some of us look back and we say, "Oh God, look at look at my look at my past, look at what I've done, mistakes, grievous choices that that have led us away from God's plan and His future." But it's a beautiful verse, 1 Corinthians six eleven. I love the way this translation reads. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's an awesome, awesome verse, but some of you used to be like this. He's washed us and we hold the cup in our hand and we're here to remember that he remembers our sins no more. I love these two verses. Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. There's power in the blood the washing, the cleansing that's happened in our lives here for those of us that have accepted Christ. He will remember our sins no more. Let's partake of that cup of the blood of cleansing together. Amen. The breaking of the cup, for those of you that may be new here, signifying the broken power of sin. It no longer has hold over us. And now we can walk forward. I I love this song. Let's stand together and and celebrate. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
1: What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of but the blood of Jesus. Nothing
0: can present a tone. Nothing can pour
2: everybody. Amen. What a way to start the day, huh? Amen. Fellowship with one another. Fellowship with the Lord. Welcome. Glad you all could uh, come on Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> to hear from the Lord. Matthew chapter 4 is where we are today. If you did not bring a Bible, please make sure you put your hand up nice and high and a, a Bible will be brought to you. There are men in the back that just live to bring you guys Bibles on Sunday morning. Their week is not fulfilled unless they have brought a Bible to somebody. Matthew chapter 4, and I'll tell you what, while you're marking Matthew chapter 4, let's also, in the front of the Bible, the fifth book, Deuteronomy. The fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. And let's just put a finger there in chapter 6. Chapter 6. Not sure how much we'll refer there, but let's have it marked just in case. One can never tell. So, while the pages are turning and people are getting ready, a couple of announcements. I just found out this morning, some of you know Craig Adams. Craig is going to be starting a backup, something that he had done in the past, and that's a men's Bible study every other week. Well, first and third. Tuesday nights at his house, starting at 6:30. It won't start until March, but for those of you guys that have been longing for some um, men's fellowship time, some uh, opportunity to discuss the biblical truths as it relates to the unique uh, things that we go through as men, then Craig, where are you? Just put your hand up, Craig. Craig is right there, and he's the one to see. Uh, he led a men's Bible study uh, some years ago that was excellent and for a variety of reasons, had to take a break from that, and now God is leading him back to that. So uh, Craig's the one to talk to. Again, it won't start until March. Uh, tonight, I don't know who scheduled the first church Bibles or uh, prayer meeting on the night of the Super Bowl. Uh, I guess I did. <laughs> but anyway, it's tonight at uh, 6.30 at Common Ground. It's our first, hopefully, of many church-wide uh, prayer times and just an opportunity to seek the Lord together as a family. If you uh, are struggling with trials, if you're going through something tough, if you are going through health issues, if you're having family problems, if you've got rebellious teenagers, if you know your dog is limping—I don't know—whatever it is, you need to seek the Lord about anything. Just to humble ourselves before God and get before Him and recognize our inability. And his ability. Just good for the soul. It's good for the soul. So we'll be there tonight, 6.30. I'm not exactly sure what to expect. Uh, Will these things kind of take on a life of their own as we watch and and we wait on the Lord and see what his plan is? Uh, I try not to show up having it all planned out because I really want to be sensitive to what the Lord wants this time to be. So I'm excited, very excited. Uh, Also, speaking of seeking the Lord, today is the last sign-up day for the women's retreat. Uh, it's, the retreat is the 25th and 26th of March, but today is the last sign-up today. It's $66, but you do not have to pay today. So if you think that you uh, would like to go, and I would highly recommend it. If you've never been on one, uh, I don't know if you've been to Calvary Chapel uh, retreats before, but it's very much like church. It's a time of exhortation, a time of fellowship, a time of building relationships uh, among one another, a time to hear from the Lord where you're outside of your normal routine ladies you're not you know involved in the stuff with the kids or whatever it is that you might normally be busy about doing your work schedule and you can just come apart and uh, you really have to come apart otherwise you're going to come apart that's the problem if we don't at some point in our lives spend some quiet time with the Lord where there's just not all of the media just inundating our minds where we can kind of set that aside, get out of our normal routine and go and just spend time with the Lord. It's amazing what you'll hear when you listen and when the world, the volume of the world is just turned down a bit. So that's the 25th, the 26th, um, and it's $66. Sign up is there's a, a little flyer and a, a poster around the corner there that you can, and a sign up sheet so you can sign up there. Um, what, Stephanie, what's the theme Growing deep in, the, in the, trusting in the Lord like a tree is the, is the picture. So it ought to be a great time. I'm really hopeful for you guys to just really be touched by the Lord. So um, one more reminder before we read our passage in Matthew. Uh, as we come week after week, you know, uh, God asked Cain the question, am I my brother's keeper? And I think that uh, in our fellowship, I'd like to say the answer is Yes. We know that from the Word of God. If you see someone overtaken in a fault, if you see someone that is spiraling out of control in their life, James chapter 5, then we have responsibility to go to them, to approach them, to look out for them, uh, to carry and bear burdens with them. So if there's someone who normally sits around you, you've you've seen them before and you haven't seen them in a while, maybe start to ask yourself the question, maybe I should see where they are, see if they're okay, see if they need help, see if they need prayer. So... I'm, I'm sort of a proponent. I like it when people sit in the same seats on Sunday morning. Some pastors get after their church about, you know, oh, you got always sit in the same spot. I like it because then you know who's around you and you know uh, kind of who's not here and you guys can check in on them. So with that said, let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, we're so thankful. We're just filled with gratitude, Lord, today because you have filled our lives in ways that uh, we could have never imagined that we'd heard about from other folks that were walking in the Spirit. But never imagined it till we tasted for ourselves. And Lord, many here have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And many others, Lord, this morning still may be on the edges. Debating whether or not to actually fully enter in. Put all the eggs in one basket and live for the Lord. I pray that as we discuss this morning temptations, that You would draw us close to Yourself and that You would open our minds and increase our memory capacity to hide Your Word in our hearts so that we might not sin against You, Lord. We desire to live holy lives and pure lives set apart from the corruption, the junk that's in the world, to live for You. And Lord, I pray that this Word this morning would feed the very depths of our soul that has been hungry all week, Lord. Just waiting to hear Your Word. And I pray that in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read the first 11 verses and then we'll break it down. Verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when He had fasted forty days and forty nights, Afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones; command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I titled the message for today just for my own mind, Just Say No. Just say no. So my first question, and I know us because I am one of you, how good are you at saying no? How good are you at saying no? How many times have you said yes and then you kick yourself going, oh, I should have said no. I don't have time for that commitment. I don't have the ability to do that thing. But out of obligation, out of not wanting to maybe hurt that person's feelings or not wanting the, the conflict of saying no or maybe they won't understand, you just said yes. You just you gave in. Now, let's just practice that right now. Okay, let's just try it. Ready with me? We're going to say no on three. One, two, three. No. See, that's not that hard, is it? We can do it, folks. I know we can do it. Let's try one more time. Are you ready? One, two, three. No. Let's try it a little bit louder. One, two, three. No. That's good. See, I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. Because what do we see Jesus doing? In the face of temptation, he says no. He's, this isn't about some obligation that he has to keep or some project that he said he would do. This is about temptation from the devil. Highly important to say and learn to say no. What is temptation? Well, we all are very familiar with temptation, even if we haven't tried to define it for ourselves. We know what it is just instinctively. Biblically, it's a word that means to solicit to sin. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to solicit you to sin, to convince you, to encourage you into disobeying God, into doing something that God doesn't approve of, into doing something that's hurtful or unloving. Uh, Dictionary definition, something that seduces or has the quality to seduce. The desire to have or do something that you know you should avoid. Now that could be from your conscience from your conscience, something you know that you just feel like it's not right for me to do that. Other people can do that; I shouldn't do that. Or it could be from not conscience but command. Could be a command of God that you're tempted to break, tempted to steal, or murder by murdering someone's character by talking bad about them or something like that. So it's a but there's something inside. There's this desire in us to, to do these things. And then we wrestle with that, whether it's a command or my conscience telling me no, or telling, excuse me, telling me that I I know I shouldn't, but there's something in my flesh, in my desires that are saying, oh, yes. And you know the struggle, don't you? You've been there. If you've ever tried to diet, if you've ever tried to fast from sweets like I do. Matter of fact, just this last week, I got sick of myself again, because those of you that know me, you know, I have issues with sweets. Uh, i can I have no off button when it comes to chocolate chip cookie dough. I have no off as much as there is I will eat it and Jerry and I share the Briar's thing all the time and so I decide you know what I'm just tired of of eating like this I'm gonna fast from sweets and and you know then I come home and and there's Briar's ice cream Jerry say amen for me there's <laughs> i'm Well, thank you all for coming. (laughs) Sermon is officially over. Jerry has preached it. It's true, though, isn't it? All we have to say is no. But no is so hard when everyone else is saying yes. No is so hard when everyone else is saying yes. Who cares? Why bother? Don't fight it. Just give in. If it feels good, do it. Temptation. It was Helga last night as Breyer's ice cream was in the freezer, and she looked in the tub of Breyer's ice cream because she is not fasting from sweets right now. And she opens it up. She says, "Oh, there's not much left. It's a good thing you're not having any." As she began to pour it into a bowl, and there I am saying no, while she is saying yes. It can be a real challenge. When I wasn't saved, before I knew the Lord, just kind of. Going with the flow, you know you just do whatever you feel like, you don't really have a you, your even your conscience is not educated into right and wrong, so we don't really have this struggle that goes on with temptation, or at least we don't recognize it's there because we don't have a conviction about not doing anything, we just do whatever we want, but then we get saved, we come into this relationship with the Lord, we begin to learn that there is right, there is wrong, there is truth, there is obedience there are commands there is love and we begin to say i need some limits in my life i need to put up some boundaries for myself i can't live that way anymore it's not good it's not healthy it's not right in the sight of god and so that's the minute that the struggles begin isn't it the minute we say i don't want to cross this line no briars that's the minute that the ice cream comes and i go oh but i want it I shouldn't have it, but I want it. That cigarette, that beer. I, I know I shouldn't have it, but oh, it's calling to me. The Briars was literally calling to me from the kitchen. I was in the dining room, and it was, I heard it say, Steve, Steve, get a spoon and a big bowl. Bu- no, I can't, I can't. And the struggle was on for the ice cream. And, and I won that battle, I'll have you know. No Briars for me last night, and it's gone, praise the Lord. Uh until another opportunity comes around but what about if it's not ice cream what if it's something more serious for the super bowl guys it's super bowl sunday so a little super bowl illustration super bowl 33 miami atlanta falcons safety eugene robinson busted the night before the super bowl for soliciting sexual activity from an undercover police officer Despite his arrest, he played in the Super Bowl where he was burned on an 80-yard touchdown pass and later missed a key tackle on a long run, which set up another touchdown. The Falcons lost the game to the Broncos 34-19. Now, the ironic thing about this situation is that the same day that this happened, he had just received the Bart Starr Award for high moral character from a Christian group. And I don't overlook that Because I know that in a room of this size, there are many of us that we might go, hey, that person gets a reward, an award, for their high moral character. And what we don't know, and only you know, is that in the private places in your life, you are struggling with temptation. You are falling victim to sin. Satan is having his way with you. And I hate to lose to him. And I hate to see the sheep of this flock lose to him. Too many great men, of God have been taken down by Satan God forgiving them absolutely but never to achieve the life of holiness that God had for them like Samson the man who was a powerful man in the spirit spirit of God coming upon him and yet falling into moral struggle with women David King David same thing The Bathsheba incident, falling, saying yes when he should have said what? Saying yes when he should have said what? Very good. Crippled by moral weakness. We come to this passage and I ask, what about us? What about today? You're going to be at the house with somebody for the Super Bowl game, maybe having a few beers and someone says, hey, have a few more. And you know you should say no, but instead, because of the pressure, you say what? Yes. Because everybody else is doing it. We give in to the temptation. Or maybe you're at the store and you've got the credit card and you know the bills are tight and you can't, there's some that are behind, but it's on sale. And do you know how much money I'll save? And we've got the credit card. And you say yes when you should have said no. Maybe it's the computer and you're cruising around, surfing around. Someone says you a link, you look up a YouTube, and there's some videos on the side that look a little risque, and they have some titles there, and your mind is thinking, what, i got to see that. But then that conscience goes, Steve, you shouldn't. You shouldn't click on it. And then the battle is there. And sometimes we say yes when we should say no. No. And I hope that as a result of seeing Jesus tempted, watching how he deals with it, that you might leave today with some increased strength and with a sharpened sword to do battle because temptations will bring you down. They will hurt you, and the more you give in, the more you will give in. Saying yes the first time to that cigarette leads to many more times it gets harder to say no. So if we can stop it where it starts then we can stop it for the future, right? So we get into our passage, Jesus having just been baptized publicly there uh, at the baptism uh, in the Jordan with John the Baptist, and they saw everybody around heard the words, this is my well-loved son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased, because he's my son. Before he goes through the temptation, before he comes out, if you've read the story, victorious on the other side, God already says, I'm well pleased. So this is not a, avoiding temptation is not a matter of, of pleasing God in that way. If you're his, he loves you because you're his. Because his love is unconditional. This is a matter of Christian freedom. And we'll talk about that at the end. So, baptized uh, this is my beloved son everybody seeing the spirit of God descend upon him like a dove the form of a dove so he's um, the spirit has come upon him he's got living with the and ministering with the power of God in his life and don't you know that as soon as you begin to make a commitment for God I mean the minute you say I'm going to go deeper with God look what Jesus does he's then led up by the spirit into the wilderness Man, sometimes it seems like that time when you say, I'm going to make a greater commitment, I'm going to get close to God, and that's what Jesus is wanting to do. He's led up into the wilderness and He's going to fast. He's going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights to draw close to God. He just knows He needs to hear from the Lord. He just knows it's a time in His life where He needs to develop and cultivate His relationship with the Father. And that's exactly the time when satan shows up i tell the folks we baptize here be ready you just entered the battle i mean it's a it's a battle we the sadder part you know i tell people that a dead fish can float downstream anybody can go with the flow but the minute you decide to live for the lord you begin to go against the flow and, and so jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is not wilderness like we think of, again, trees and, and, and forests. This is desert. This is a desert place. Uh, desolate. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. That is the understatement of the century in the Bible. <laughs> After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, do you think so? How long have you made it fasting? Maybe like 15 minutes, you know? Uh, you just, we just walk to the fridge out of habit. You know, I haven't eaten in at least 15 minutes. It must be time. Doctors say you can live four to six weeks without food, depending on your initial health when you start the fast. Um... Political prisoners have lived 46 to 73 days before succumbing to lack of food. Prisoners of war, 28 to 40 days. Mahatma Gandhi survived a three-week fast while in his 70s. So this is a long time. He is at the max in terms of fasting. And I'm not going to go into fasting in too much detail because we'll talk about it again in, in a few Bible studies. We'll talk about fasting again. But... Although the Spirit is leading him to the wilderness, it's not God who's tempting him. Who's he being tempted by? The devil. Satan, uh, he calls him verse 3, now when the tempter had come to him. This is who Satan is. He is the tempter. He is the accuser. He is the one that wants to trip you up, make you stumble, make you turn away from God at whatever cost because he came to steal joy and blessing. He came to kill relationships in life and he came to destroy hope and love now that's not a guy i like to lose to that's not someone i want to have any control in my life you no absolutely not he's the tempter, and i don't know if you believe satan is real or not and if you're here going uh, it's just a you know just, just something people made up to explain evil you haven't opened your eyes very much I remember hearing a guy talk about um, uh, killing John Lennon, the guy who murdered John Lennon, saying he prayed to Satan for the power to do it. He did it. Satan is a very real enemy. And he is very tricky, he's very cunning. And his goal and his sights are on you to get you to trip up. But we are not without help, and that's what we're getting to here uh, led into the wilderness, to be tempted. Next to the word tempted, right? tested. Tested. Because this is, I, I can't go on without making this clear, this is a huge event. This is a big deal. What we're about to read is way more significant than a football game. This is a nail I know, blasphemy, I'm sorry. I'll get the emails. How, did he just say that? This is huge. What Jesus is doing here is so important because tempted also means to test or to try. God is submitting Jesus for scrutiny, to be tested. I have done some blacksmithing in the past and have an interest recently in knife making. And I was on a website looking at uh, being a master bladesmith, what's involved. And you have to make a knife and then it has to be tested. Its integrity has to be tested by cutting a one-inch thick braided rope by cutting through two two two-by-fours, and then they take the knife and they bend it to 90 degrees. And if it breaks, you lose. If it withstands, you win. You pass. Your knife is shown to have passed the test. And Jesus is like that. He is here submitted in the wilderness to this tempting or to this testing to prove that when he is stressed, he will hold up. And if he holds up, guess what rides on that? Me and you. Because the first Adam in the garden got tested, didn't he? And what did he do? He failed. Jesus is coming as the one to fix up what Adam messed up in the garden. And to do so, for me and you, we are watching this. Did you biting our nails going, "Will he make it?" It's like the kid at the carnival who sees the beautiful prizes? And says, "Dad, I want one of those." And Dad has to then be the one, the representative, to throw the balls at the dolls or whatever to win the prize. For the, and if you blow it, man, it, you got to buy ice cream to make up for it or something. You know, you just feel terrible as a dad, like, "Oh man, I blew it. I didn't get the prize." But when you win it, you feel like, you know, "Oh, I can conquer the world. I just won this prize for my kid." You know, it's a twenty-five cent animal, but to them, it's like a million bucks. You know, and all their hope. Is riding on your ability to perform. Look, folks, all our hope is riding on Jesus' ability to perform here in the wilderness when Adam failed in the garden because Jesus can't give us righteousness if he doesn't have it. And we were all connected to Adam and to his fall and to his sin. But we are born again into Christ and with that we inherit His righteousness. So He's got to make it, folks. He's got to survive this. He's got to be victorious here as, this, as the tempter comes to Him. I like it. He's in the wilderness fasting. That's where you should fast because if He went home, Mary would have had the cookies out and it would have been a real tough thing. So He's in the wilderness. The tempter comes to Him. The first of three temptations. And he says, if you are, and that's really if or since, Satan was listening at the baptism. He heard God say, this is my beloved son. He knows that. Jesus knows that. He's not trying to convince him otherwise. If or since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. It's almost like a dare. At this point, Jesus is so hungry. Some experts would say, because he's hungry, that indicates that his body has actually started to digest itself. He's past the point where he's making it through this fast he's got to eat and he is hungry and Satan knows that, and there's Jesus in the in the wilderness, and there's rocks all around that look like little loaves of bread and, and Satan says, "Hey, Jesus, go ahead and just use your power, use your miracle working power and meet your own need through your own power." It doesn't matter what... what you know, God wouldn't want you to, to go without, without food. He wouldn't want you to be hungry, would he? And the, the dare here is if God loves you. He, he would have given you what you need, but he hasn't. So you need to take care of what you perceive as your own need. Now, this is not, uh, this is not something sinful inherently that Jesus is being tempted to do. I mean, food is okay. So it's not like, you know, sexual temptation or tempted to lie or pride or any of those things. But this is dealing with the old saying, God wants me to be happy. Have you ever had anybody say that, quote that? Well, doesn't the Bible say God wants me to be happy? He wants me to fulfill my appetites, fulfill my longings. The Bible doesn't say God wants you to be happy. Usually that comes right before we are trying to justify something we know we shouldn't be doing. Like missionary dating, evangelistic dating. You know, well, well, I know they're not a Christian, but, you know, I can convert them. That's what I'm going to do. I, I, I know they're a stone, but I can make this bread. I can make it work. I, I know God doesn't want this, this but, but I'll, I'll make it happen. You ever done that? You, ever, you know, God's not giving you exactly what you want, so you kind of manipulate your environment to make it happen. Jesus' response, it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 8 don't go there but that's where he's quoting from it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God Jesus said I know you want me to be happy Satan but God wants me to be holy God wants me to be holy and he quotes deuteronomy chapter 8 an issue where what is being spoken of in deuteronomy is how god had provided for the israelites for 40 years in the wilderness he he clothed them he cared for them he gave them manna they were uh, questioning god they were wondering well how could god let us wander in the world if god loved us why would he let us starve in the wilderness we need food god and god gave them food from a source they never expected and here's the thing just like Jesus is hungry, they were hungry. Just like Jesus is saying, I'm not going to get this food myself, God had led the Israelites in the wilderness for that long to humble them, to test them, to allow them to be in need. Why? Why? So they would recognize that they are not God, that they are not powerful enough to accomplish their own needs under their own strength he allowed he humbled them you see everybody feels like we're untouchable like I'm invincible until the diagnosis comes then you realize I'm not as powerful as I thought what if there was a famine today what if food lion the shelves were empty we had no can you produce food on your own maybe in your garden but if it's a drought can you make food happen no. Can you make water happen that, that year we had the drought and everybody's wells were going dry? Did you? Could you do anything about it? You see, here's what we need to recognize, folks. That we are not as powerful as we think we are. That's why the mankind continues to need God. And Jesus says, it's not about fulfilling our longings for our our appetites in this world, our fleshy desires, even if it's hunger, even if it's food. Man still needs the Word of God. And that is what will sustain. Jesus, now how many of you, let me ask you this question, are are hungering or living on bread alone? How many of you are, are living on the Word of God? Deriving nutrition and sustenance from the Word of God? Or how many of you are starving when it comes to the word of God? Now, one interesting note, just turn a couple pages with me to the right, to Matthew chapter 7, because this experience, this experience becomes a sermon illustration for Jesus, and he's illustrating something very important. Look at chapter 7, verse 7. Remember, the Israelites in the wilderness had no ability to provide for themselves. God gave them food from a source that they didn't even expect. That they would, and that's how God does for us. You know, when you step out to get your own need met, you, you get what you ask for. And sometimes God sends leanness to your soul. But when you wait for Him to provide what He wants for you, oh, it's much better. And it's from a source you never expected. Look what Jesus says. First sermon He preaches. He uses this as a sermon illustration. Matthew chapter 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and keep knocking. It will be open to you eventually. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Maybe not right then. But when God says, when God's timing, it will. Or what man is there, verse 9, among you, listen, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Where do you think Jesus got that illustration from? He knew. My father loves me. so. You go on to read that uh, just like a a human father loves to give, give good gifts, so your father in heaven loves to give you the things that are good for you. So if he's not giving it to you, it's probably because he doesn't want you to have it. It's not good for you. So he says, hey, what man, what father would be so cruel that if his son said, can I have bread? We give him a stone and say, hey, just go ahead and change it. If God wants you to have it, he'll give it to you. And he'll give it to you in his timing. So fascinating to see Jesus recall that moment in the, in the wilderness and call on that as a sermon illustration about the provision of God, the provision of God. That's the doubt. God wants me to be happy. You might say, no, God wants you to be holy. He will give you what you need. But maybe not what you want. The second temptation... Back to Matthew 4. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and into their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So the second temptation comes, and this is the temptation, two things, to be seen and to control God. It's like a double. I, I couldn't pick one over the other. They're both true. Um, the devil took him, into the holy city. Now, I don't know if this was a physical transportation. You know, they they went on a road trip together to the temple. Or if all this is playing out in Jesus' mind. There's nothing that indicates that Satan has to be there in a physical form. This can be taking place in Jesus' mind as he thinks these thoughts and as Satan in his mind takes him to the holy city. Now, you can't get hurt by jumping off a dream. But certainly, that's where actions start in our mind. So so you picture it in your mind, and then you do it in your life. So the level at which Satan is coming to Jesus on is his thought life, and that is the level at which Jesus is stopping it at the level of his thoughts. He said, the devil came to him and took him up in the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, that was about a 450-foot drop from the pinnacle of the temple down to the ground. If God loves you, Satan might say, God won't let anything happen to you. So go ahead, hurl yourself off the top of the temple, and let's watch God rescue you in front of everybody. You see, the first thing Satan is suggesting that Jesus does is manipulate God, or force God, to make God be under my control. I'm going to to force God's hand. I'm going to do this thing, and then God's going to have to act on my behalf. The second thing is he's tempting him to go public. Jesus, you're here in the wilderness. Nobody really is appreciating you. Nobody is really understanding who you are. You're here in isolation. And nobody's seeing all the sacrifice you're making. Let's put it public so people can see really who you are you ever had Satan tempt you with that I deserve to be recognized for who I am I deserve to be appreciated matter of fact Satan is really saying take a leap of faith the Word of God says you can do this Psalm 91 that's what he quotes look God won't even let you stub your toe go ahead and do it and be careful when people misquote scripture because Satan leaves a verse out when he quotes Psalm 91, you'll have to read it for yourself, but he, he fails to quote one verse that talks about all of, all of thy ways, all, all, that when you are following the ways of God. So he leaves that out. And I remember seeing a sermon, a pastor, TV evangelist, sharing from the book of Philemon, completely chopped the verse in half, talking about all the good things that are in you. And he quoted it right out of Scripture, right there in Philemon chapter, well, it's only one chapter, but he quotes it right there. All the good things that are here. He left off the part that said, in Christ Jesus. Left that out. Who do you think was responsible for that sermon that day? I think Satan was responsible for the sermon that day from that pulpit, not God. Oh, this would be really a leap of faith if you can do this. You would force God to work on your behalf. Make God... Serve me—that's our, that's our intention. God should serve my needs, not me serving His needs. Well, Jesus quotes again Deuteronomy chapter six, verse sixteen. This time he says, "It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God." And it comes from Deuteronomy six, verse sixteen, but it it harkens back to Exodus chapter seventeen, verse seven. Let me read that to you. I know this is a little bit confusing. Follow the trail. In Exodus chapter 17, the people were thirsty. And they were saying, oh Moses, we need water. Did you bring us out of Egypt just to die of thirst out here? And Moses says to God, I need a little help here please. The people are going to stone me. They're mad. They're thirsty. What are we going to do God? What are you going to do? And God provides water. Let me read it to you. All the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Now I skip down to verse 5. The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders. Also take in your, ha- in your hand your rod which, with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out that the people may drink. And Moses did so on the side of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? God, are you really here or not? If you're really here, if you really love me, then I need that job. If you really love me, then then you'll make this work out. And we test God. That you ever done that? You ever test God? Okay, I'll know you're real, God. I know you really love. If you do this for me. And is it, we'll see. And then people come. Well, I I tested God. I told God if He would do this, then I would believe in Him. But He didn't do it. Now now I don't believe. And people test God. They try to put God in a in a, in a box. You know, they try to get him to serve him and and prove himself like they did. They were saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And that's exactly what's happening here. Satan uh, tempting Jesus to to force God's hand. God won't be forced. God will do what he's going to do in his time. He's much more confident than me. You can't make him change his plan. The cross was the plan, not the temple. The cross was the plan. And Jesus was willing to wait for that, not to tempt God, to do little party tricks and things. What if my wife, every time you know, she doubted if I was really really loved her, she, she began to test my love for her? Well, if you really love me, you know parents, we know that kids do that, don't they? Well if you really love me, you'd buy me that thing, but I guess you don't love me. Oh, they're so good at manipulating, aren't they? Get behind me, Satan. Verse 8, third temptation. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Circle the word world. We'll come back to it. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. The third temptation... I'll tell you what, Jesus, he, he changes his tactics a little bit. Now it's not, I dare you to do this. I dare you to do that. Now it's, let's make a deal. All of a sudden he's, what, Soupy Sales or Monty Hall or one of those guys. Let's make a deal. I forget which one it is. I'm going to offer you a bargain. Look, if the devil offers you a bargain, don't take it. Just say no. Thank you. Somebody was paid. The t- excellent. This is clearly a psychological temptation. He, he takes him up to this mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And they how can you, they couldn't see physically all the kingdoms of the world. But in his mind, Satan could run the tape of all the kingdoms of the world. Maybe past and present. Maybe just present. I don't know. But the offer here is to trade the spiritual for the temporal. And to trade the heavenly for the earthly. Which kind of kingdom was Jesus all about? The heavenly kingdom. God's kingdom. What kind of kingdom is Satan about? Earthly one, temporary one. Look at all these kingdoms. These can be yours right now. You can have it now. You can have glory now. You can be popular now. You can have lots of friends now if you'll take the bait, take the deal, worship me. He's a liar. It's, he's offering him so much less than what he would really attain by the cross. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is confessed. The kingdoms of the world, this is all temporary, folks. Everything with next to that word world, right? Temporary. We live so far below what God has for us. So many people living like Esau, who traded away his spiritual blessing for a pot of porridge, a bowl of red soup. I'm going to die if I don't get it. And he's tra- So many good Christian folks like you, right there today. You're trading spiritual blessing for just some crummy bowl of soup just to fulfill some longing that you have or some need for popularity or some <clears throat> problem with loneliness or whatever it is. And you're trading away. Would you rather be a bench warmer for the winning team? Which is going to be who? Is this just.? Ah, oh, okay. All right. We're going to have a fight after church today. Would you rather be a bench warmer for the winning team or the quarterback of the losing team? Would you rather ride coach on a plane that makes it to the destination or first class on a plane that crashes? But these, that's what Jesus is being offered. You can ride first class. The uh, plane's going down, but it's first class, at least until it goes down. Would you rather, rather be the captain of the Titanic or swab the deck on a fishing boat that managed to navigate around the iceberg? Jesus would later say, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Another reference, I think, to the offer. Anyway, he finally he's had enough. Away with you. Uh, he says, It is written, Deuteronomy 6:13 You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I wonder if there's a little dig by Jesus when he says you. You know, if he's just saying you shall I mean he's quoting scripture but I think it's like intentional, you know, you Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and and him only shall you serve. No way I'm not going to trade as for me and my house Jesus says We are going to serve the Lord. The steadfastness, I love it. The strength. What compromise are you making today? What compromise are you making today in your own life where Satan has made you an offer, he's cut you a deal for a little bit of temporary satisfaction, and you're giving up tremendous spiritual blessing? Just a question you'll have to answer. Moses said... um, He would rather suffer affliction, Hebrews chapter 11, with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The passing pleasures of sin. You know what? Your your friends are going to tell you you're popular. It's going to seem cool at the time, but you know what? It ends in misery and disaster. It's a passing pleasure when meanwhile, there's so much blessing in the body of Christ. So much blessing in obedience to the Lord then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Uh, how many of you know the devil will be back? Well, just by way of conclusion, William Shakespeare said, "'Tis one thing to be tempted, another thing to fall.'" As we go through this, I want you to notice the strength of Jesus, the freedom of Jesus. My kids had gone to a Bible study at another church, and, and I always quit. you should quiz your kids. When you go home on the way home, ask them, "'What you learn today?' What would you talk about today? Ask him. Converse about it in the car. If, you're not, if you don't have kids, from here, hey, what did you get out of what Pastor Steve said? Did you follow any of what he said? You know? And they, they'd heard about freedom. Said, oh, we learned that we're free in Christ. I said, what's that mean? Uh, we don't know. I've asked that question many times, and I've always had people struggle to answer, what does that mean? Freedom in Christ. This is part of what it means. Jesus was free to say no. That is a great freedom, isn't it, folks? When you, when you say, well, I'm, I'm free to have those beers. The great thing is that I'm free not to. I'm free to smoke that. I'm free to say, to share that gossipy tidbit. But I'm also free not to. That control that comes... He is much stronger by saying no, than by giving in. And I know in my life, there is a strong man that lives in me, the old nature, the old me, that you guys don't know. And I don't check in with my friends on Facebook to find out either. There's the old me. The only thing that gives me victory, day after day after day, is a continual dependence on the stronger man to keep him chained up and that is Jesus Christ and what is the, what how does Jesus fight this battle three times quoting from Deuteronomy three times quoting from the Word of God but not just quoting quoting it in application to his temptation let me ask a question what verses do you think Jesus was meditating on that day you think maybe his personal devotional time was in Deuteronomy And he found application from what he happened to be drawing close to the Lord with that day. In his personal devotional time, he found application to the temptation he faced when? That day. Folks, you cannot survive and prosper if you do not know and and know how to apply the Word of God to your life. You need the Word of God. You need to make yourself, force yourself, to read, to study, to know, to then apply it to your life. Not just to quote it so you can look smart. Nothing happened because he quoted it, but it was because he quoted it in reference to his temptation. Satan's a killer. But God has set you free, just as we celebrated in communion. Free to say what? Say no. Next time Satan comes a-calling, go back to this chapter. And ask God for the strength and the word of God to help you to say no. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just recognize so much temptation out there from Satan. Uh, we know we have an enemy. We know we have a tempter. Uh, we thank God that Jesus has, is the captain of our salvation. That in all points he was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. We thank You that You have put us in Him. And You've given us Your Word that we can hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against You. Father, I so desire to not fall into the trap of David or fall into the trap of Samson. And Lord, if I have fallen into those, if we have fallen into those traps in the past, to just say no fresh again today. And every time I fail to say no again, to reestablish that limit. And draw on You and Your Word for strength. Lord, You are so good. Your Word is so rich. And so feeding. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray for strength over temptation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Sing a final song.
1: Sing Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord, to You.